Good morning once again to all of you. And we are continuing, as I already mentioned, uh, in the Ten Commandments series here at Bethlehem. And uh, I think an idea that we just need to keep coming back to probably every week of this series is this overall theme that we've been talking about. And uh, the theme is simply this. God gave us the commandments not to earn his love, but because he loves us. God gave us the Ten Commandments not to earn his love. The Ten Commandments are not a way for us to get in right with God. That's not why he gave them to us, but he gave them to us because he loves us. And the Ten Commandments really serve then as a teaching tool for us. Um, The Ten Commandments, probably the primary thing that they teach us, is that we need a Savior. That we need someone to keep them perfectly for us. And so... We, as we've been looking at all of these commandments, we've realized that we can't live according to them perfectly and that we need a Savior and God lovingly sent us a Savior to do just that for us in our place. And so God, um, throughout those, through these Ten Commandments, God is um, pointing us to the fact that we need a Savior in a very loving way. Another thing that God does and teaches us through these commandments is he's teaching us how he wants us to live. All right? Think about it. I mean, God is the one who designed life. God is then also the one who knows how life works, right? I mean, God knows better than anyone. If he's the creator of life, if he's the designer of life, then God knows probably how life should work. And he's got some things to say about that, and they're summed up in these things called the Ten Commandments. And so for us in our lives, then they teach us how to then live a life that God wants us to live. And so we've been looking at them. Today, we're looking at the fifth commandment, um, just four short, powerful words from Exodus chapter 20. I think one of the, side light here, one of the other goals of this series is hopefully at the end of this, if anybody ever asks you where the Ten Commandments are, you can say more than just the Old Testament. I'm hoping maybe by the end of this, you can answer them. They're found in Exodus chapter 20, all right? So we keep coming back, Exodus chapter 20. The fifth commandment, four short, powerful words A whole lot more there than maybe meets the eye, and we'll talk about that this morning, but simply says, you shall not murder. Now, the kind of the underlying theme of this commandment that God is getting at is that he values life. Okay, so to God, life is important. Your life is important to God. The people in this room, everybody in this room, all of us, our lives are important to God. And everyone in the world, their lives, they matter to God. And the reason they matter, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit, but the reason your life matters to God, the reason anyone's life matters to God is because your life here on earth has eternal implications. Your life here on earth is that opportunity for you to come to faith and for anyone to come to faith, which will have an eternal implication on your life. And so God says, I value life. Your life right now is important to me because of that eternal implication that goes along with this life right now. And so God also then expresses to us as his followers, as his disciples, that life should matter to us as well, that we should value our lives and we should also value the lives of the people around us. And that's mainly what we're going to be talking about today, valuing valuing the lives of the people around us. Now, that's not always easy for us to do in our society, is it? I mean, you look at our world 
And does our world place a lot of value on the lives of others? The answer is generally no. Our world does not put a lot of value on the lives of others. I mean, physical life, we don't put a lot of value on physical life. I mean, people take another person's life over trivial things. Insignificant things. Somebody will take a life. And there's just not a whole lot of value for somebody's earthly life. But as Jesus already, we talked about in Matthew chapter 5, when we're talking about you shall not murder, we're talking about more than just someone's physical life. We're talking about more than just their body. We're talking more about, we're talking about their, their, who they are as a person. We're talking about their existence here on earth. And so we can hurt someone, as Jesus said, we can hurt someone by hating them. We can hurt someone by being angry at them. And so it's more than, we're talking about more than, you know, throwing a punch. We're talking about more than pulling out a gun or pulling out a knife and actually ending someone's life. We're talking about how we treat their overall life through our physical actions, yes, through our words, and even through our attitudes. And Jesus is going to talk to us this morning about all of those things. Now let me give you a quick example from our present day life right now uh, of an example of how the fifth commandment is broken without actually taking somebody's life. Many of you probably heard uh, last week, I believe it was, about a woman from New York, the state of New York, by the name of Karen Klein. The name doesn't ring a bell. Perhaps the fact that she was a bus monitor out in New York will help. Karen, for a number of days, maybe a number of weeks, was experiencing verbal abuse from a number of the kids on that bus. And they were punished by that. We look at that, and we look at those youths, and we think, man, that's wrong. And God would say, as God would say, that's actually a, a breaking of the fifth commandment. They didn't take her life, but they were verbally abusing her life. And so we're going to talk about that today and how God wants us to value the lives of others, not just their physical life, not just their bodies, but how we treat them as well. And God has a lot to say to us this morning about that. Now, we live in that world, Ben, that over and over and over says to the people around us, I couldn't care less about your life. Through words, through actions, through attitudes, the world says to one another, I couldn't care less about you. And as Paul is going to point out in our first verse today, I think we fall into that category where we say to the people around us, I couldn't care less about you, probably more often than we would care to admit. And Paul is going to help us see that in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 31. And here the Apostle Paul writes, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now there's a lot to talk about there. Paul says, get rid of. This is the the same Greek word, many of you probably had this experience, where have you ever walked into a spider web? What happens when you walk into a spider web? What do you do? 
There were people at the first service that were waving their arms. They were like hitting themselves in the face as they were pretending to get a spider web off of their face, right? When you walk into a spider web, it's not like, oh, well, that's not so cool. When you walk into a spider web, it's like you, you like wipe it away. You're throwing your arms up. You're trying to get it off of you as quickly as you can. That's the same imagery that Paul's using here about the things that he's going to talk about. He says, I want, you should get it off of you and get it off of you quick. As soon as it gets on you, you should be fighting to get it off of you. It should matter to you that much that you would wipe it away quickly and separate yourself from it just like you would separate yourself from a spider web that you've walked into. So get rid of, and then he goes on and he says all. Now, all is a pretty simple word to understand. We all understand it. But I just want to camp out on that word for a minute. Think about this. If you had cancer and you went in for surgery, and you woke up from the operation, the doctor comes in to see how you're doing, and you say, the first thing you say to the doctor is, well, did you get all of it? And the doctor says back to you, well, we got most of it. What's your reaction going to be to that doctor? What do you mean you got most of it? You didn't go in to get most of it. You went in to get all of it, right? If, if the doctor comes back and he says, well, we, we kind of got a lot of it, but not all of it, we're not happy with that. We're not content with that. We want them to go back in, and we want them to remove even more than they maybe have to in order to get all of it because we're not satisfied with a little bit of it still inside of us. Why are we not satisfied? Because we know that with cancer, a little bit, over a little bit of time, becomes more of it. It grows and it spreads. The things that Paul is going to be talking about today, when, it talks, when he's talking about how we, we treat the people around us, how we value the lives of the people around us, he says, I want you to get rid of some things. And I want you to get rid of all of it, because if you don't get rid of all of it, it's got a tendency to grow and spread and become more of it. So he says, get rid of, separate yourself from all bitterness is where he takes us first. Now, bitterness is this idea that um, we hold on to things from the past. Bitterness is kind of like that time machine of the mind that continually goes back to past hurts and things that people have done to us that we have not appreciated. And it holds on to that. And that bitterness has a tendency to cloud our judgment. It has a, a tendency to make us cold towards particular people and the way that we treat them in our lives. And so Paul, first of all, says, I want you to get rid of, separate yourself from bitterness. So when we notice in our lives that we have a tendency to be going back to and replaying over and over in our minds again some hurt or some wrong that someone has done to us, Paul says, I, you need to get rid of that. You need to separate yourself from that bitterness. And then he goes on, and he's going to kind of continue this thought, and I think there's a, lot, there's a progression of the where Paul goes with all of this. So he says, first of all, get rid of bitterness. And then he goes on and he says, get rid of rage. Now rage, rage is that time in our lives when we have an, an outburst. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's, it's verbal, 
Um, maybe somebody sees it, maybe nobody sees it, but it's that time in our lives when, the, when it slips out and we kind of think to ourselves, I can't believe I just said that. Or I can't believe I just did that. It, it, it's just like that little burst of anger that slips out of us and it's there and, and you know, it catches us by surprise. And bitterness will oftentimes lead to that rage where we let that fester, that bitterness just kind of hang out there and eventually that kind of works its way out into our lives and it just kind of pops out on us. And Paul says you need to get rid of that bitterness, you need to get rid of that rage. And then he goes on and he says get rid of all that anger that's in your life. Now, anger, the idea behind here is this, this continual anger, this continual, you know, frustration and anxiety and tension that we have towards someone else for something that they did to us. And that anger, that immediately can start to affect the tone of our lives, right? You know people, don't look at anyone next to you, okay, if this is that person, but you know people in your lives that you can tell when they're getting angry. You can tell when they're getting angry a lot of times by just the look on their face. Sometimes, you know, it's the clenching of the jaw. Sometimes it's, they, they turn red. But you just know that they are holding anger inside of them at that very moment. And you know that you probably don't want to be there much longer. Because that anger is about to erupt. The Greek word for anger has, the, you know, it has a picture associated with, with heat, right? We can tell when we're getting angry because we feel like we're getting hot. Paul says, when you feel like you're getting hot, when you feel like you're getting angry, when you're angry, you need to get rid of that. You need to separate yourself from that as well. Then he goes on and he says, get rid of brawling. Brawling is like, all right, before rage was kind of like the little burst that slip out, brawling is like, okay, I don't care anymore what people think. I'm letting it out. It could be verbal brawling, it could be physical brawling, but it's like I'm ready to fight. I don't care what you think. I don't care what happens to you, but let's go. Okay? So get rid of brawling. Slander. Slander is when we bring others into it. It's kind of like we want an audience. We want a jury to kind of vindicate what we're doing. So we think that we've got a, a, you know, we've been hurt, we've, you know, somebody has done wrong to us, they deserve to pay, and now I'm going to slander that person. I'm going to bring other people into this, and I'm going to let them know what that person did to me, and I'm going to have a jury for all of this, and they're going to they're say about me that it's okay what I'm doing. They're going to justify what I'm doing. They, if they were in that same position, they'd be doing the exact same thing. And so we slander that person. We let other people know about it. And then he concludes this list of things to get rid of, and he says, get rid of every form of malice. Malice, not a word we use real often. Malice is kind of like a catch-all phrase, okay? Malice is basically anything our sick minds can think of. Malice is... You know, there, you know, there might be a, a, an award for who can think of the worst of what you could do to somebody else, but it doesn't really matter what the award is. All of us can think of something terrible to do to the people around us. And malice is this idea that I simply don't care anymore. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what happens to you. I don't care if I lose as long as you lose. 
I don't care if I suffer as long as you suffer. And so malice is just anything. I, you know, I am pulling out all the stops. I don't care what happens to you. I don't care what the consequences are. I don't care if I have to pay for it. I'm getting back at you. Malice. Malice is where seemingly normal, well-mannered people get themselves into big trouble. Malice is where the person who you would have never have imagined could do something harmful, um, that person winds up in jail. Malice is where restraining orders come into place. Malice is where, you know, you sue someone with the intent of bankrupting them. Malice is where you go out and you plan to do bodily harm to someone. And Paul says, we are to get rid of these things. Do you notice that there's an assumption in there? Paul's assuming that all of us are capable of these things. All of us are capable of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice. And all of that fits underneath the fifth commandment as God says he values life and all of these things lead us to undervalue, devalue the lives of others. Now there's a root cause behind all of this. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about how to deal with that root cause. But before we get to how we are to deal with that root cause, I want to talk about how I think we tend to deal with the root cause. I think what we tend to do with the bitterness and the rage and the anger and the malice that is in our lives is we tend to call up a sympathetic friend. When we've, when we've had that outburst of anger, when we've just let somebody have it, we tend to call someone up, find someone who's going to have a sympathetic ear. That they're going to say, when we tell them the story, you know, so-and-so did such-and-such and and I just blew up and I treated them poorly and I said some terrible things, we're hoping that that person is going to say back to us, yeah, but look at what they did to you. Or they're going to say back to us, you know what, I would have done the exact same thing if I were in your shoes. Or they're going to say to us, that's, that's what I do. It's, that's what I do every Wednesday. It's just part of my life. I just act out. It's like exercise for me. And we're hoping that we're going to find someone who's basically going to bless us for acting the way that God doesn't want us to. Because that's easy. And the idea is that we find that person and they bless our sinful behavior and then when they act out, then they can call us and we can bless their sinful behavior. That's the tendency that we have when it comes to all of these things. And that's how we typically, I think, tend to deal with the anger and the malice that is in our lives. God says, I got a different way that you are to deal with the anger in your lives. And you got to dig it out. You've got to get down to the root cause of what we're talking about here, and you've got to dig it out. And the way you dig it out, Paul says, is with the gospel. And that's exactly where he's going to segue now in verse 32. And he goes on and he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Now, just stop right there. When you're angry at somebody, and somebody else tells you, Be kind, what are, what's your reaction to that? 
Oh, yeah, sure, be kind. Yeah, right, I'd love to be kind. I could be kind of angry, but not kind. That's the way we typically act. When, if somebody just says to you, be kind to those people. Now, and then he goes on and he says, be compassionate. Now, compassion is one step further. Kindness, okay, I can be kind by not verbally coming after you the next time I see you. Okay, that's kindness. Compassion? Compassion means I need to go out of my way to show that I'm being kind to you. And Paul says, I want you to be kind and I want you to be compassionate to the people that anger you. And he doesn't just tell us to do that. He doesn't just leave us hanging there. When he goes on and he says, so be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving, right, the last thing we want to do, but he says, forgiving each other, and then two really important words, forgiving each other just as. Not just like, okay, this isn't like, look at what that person does over there and then try to do like that person over there. That's just like. Just as is, they've done that, now you do that. And he's going to say, they've done that to you, you've experienced it, now let others experience that as well. So he says, be kind, be compassionate, forgive others, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be kind, be compassionate, forgive just as. Just as you've already been shown kindness by Jesus. Be compassionate. Just as you've already been shown compassion from Jesus. Be forgiving just as you've already been forgiven. And what Paul is getting at is that that is the way we are to value and treat the people around us. Now think about this. Of anyone in the world, who do you think has the most right to be bitter and angry and treat the people around them with malice? Who in all of the world has the most right to that lifestyle? Would it not be God? I mean, think about that. God is the creator of the universe. God created human beings. He set them up in a loving relationship with him, and what did human beings do? They sinned against him, and they blew it. And then they walked away, and then they treated him badly, and they continue to treat him badly, and they treat others badly, and they affect others with their badness inside of them, that sickness of sin inside of them, and they mess everything up. And then what does God do? God comes and he says, all right, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to come and be one of them. I'm going to come and live in their place. I'm going to come and live the life they couldn't. And so he came and he did that, and what did human beings do? They abused him, they neglected him, they rejected him, and they crucified him. And what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. Father, 
forgive them. And he takes upon himself all of the anger, all of the rage, all of the bitterness, the slander, the brawling, the malice of humanity. He takes it all upon himself. And he says, Father, forgive them. Takes it all away. You see, he values your life. And he values my life. And he values the lives of all people. And he wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive us. He wants a relationship with us. And so he does it all himself. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But he gives it to us freely. And then he says, just as you've been shown kindness and compassion and forgiveness, I want you to treat others that way. Just as I valued your life, I want you to value the lives of the people around you. And then he's going to go on, and he says, chapter 5, he says, Be imitators of God. Mimic God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, children of God, God wants us to, to honor him with our lives as his children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us, key words again, just as, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It says, be imitators of God. Live a life of love. As I value life, I want you to value the lives of the people around you. As I love the lives of the people around you, I want you to love the lives of the people around you as well. I want you, without looking for payment, I want you, without looking for something in return, to show kindness and compassion and forgiveness to the people around you. Just as I have loved your life, love the lives of the people around you. Now, you know what this looks like when this happens? Let me give you an example of what it does not look like, okay? I actually went out this morning. I was going to try and... I went across the street. I was going to try and get some pond water for you guys. Um, couldn't get close enough to the water without falling in, so we don't have any pond water. But imagine some pond water. There are things floating in it. It's gross. It stinks. You wouldn't drink it. It's stagnant, right? The water has flown into the pond and it has just sat there. And it becomes stagnant just sitting there. God says to us today, I don't want you to take the kindness and compassion and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace and the love that I've shown you and just to receive it and just to hold on to it or become stagnant. But I want you to to receive the grace and the kindness and the compassion and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness that is for you. My intent is that you have that, that it is a part of your life. I want you to enjoy it. And then I want you to let it flow through you. And I want that same kindness and compassion and grace and mercy and forgiveness to flow through you to the people around you. 
And just as you've received it, now let it go and let it flow to the people around you. And God says, I want you to value the lives of people. God says about your life, I couldn't care more about you. That's why I sent Jesus to die on a cross for you. And I want you to have that same attitude about the people around you. I want you to value their life by showing them that kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. And so he wants us to be able to say about the people around us, I couldn't care more about you. And let me show you by kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, these are some hard words for us. I I know, Lord, in my life that these are very convicting words as I know that anger and malice are a part of my life. And Lord, I thank you that you have sent your son Jesus. Yes, to, to die and to rise, to take away our sins, but as we've talked about today, specifically, to die and to rise, to forgive us of our anger and our rage and our bitterness and malice and slander and brawling. Lord, give us the courage to take what you have so freely given us, something that we have benefited from so much, to take that and to let it flow through us. That the people around us would benefit, that we would value their lives by the lives we live as we allow what you have done in us to flow through us and into their lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.